0: The Bible is scientifically accurate, but one of the main attacks against the Bible has been that it has said unscientific things like, the earth is flat. But we've seen that the Bible never says that, never hints at that. And, and in fact, Isaiah 40:22 says that God sits above the circle or the sphere of the earth. And uh, this word literally does mean sphere. Jesus talked in in Matthew 12 about the fact that he would be uh, three days three nights in the heart of the earth and that indicates the fact that the earth has a heart or a core again indicates that it's spherical some people have objected well what about when the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time skeptics say this is impossible on the spherical earth And so it must indicate a flat Earth. But this is foolish objection, because to do this physically uh, would be equally impossible if the Earth was flat. Uh, It would be obvious to men of all ages of time that there is no mountain from which you can see the whole world. You can just see a few miles at most, however big a mountain you're at. And so this is clearly a supernatural experience in which the devil revealed all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus in a vision. It's got nothing to do with flat earths. Uh, Another common objection is about the four corners of the earth, and this is a phrase that's used in three scriptures in Isaiah 11, Revelation 7, Revelation 20. And we are, what at the corners of the earth, surely that means that the earth is square doesn 't it no we 're the victims of the translators. In fact, the meaning of this word, according to strong 's, is that uh, this word used in these verses is actually should be translated quadrant or quarter in other words it 's the four quarters or the four quadrants of the earth that 's how revelation twenty 8 is translated in the King James it says that Satan will go out to deceive the the, all the nations that are in the four quarters of the earth to gather them together for battle and this is accurate scientific language that we use today because by the nature of things from any point on the surface of the earth every any other point is located relative to the four basic baseline directions the four compass points north south east and west And these four uh, directions divide the earth into four quarters or quadrants. And, uh, And so the scriptures that use this phrase are simply emphasizing that the whole earth is included in what they're talking about, all four of its quarters. And so again, the Bible proves to be accurate in its information. Well, the attacks against the Bible in modern times is it's unscientific, And I'm making the case that this is just not true, rather the opposite, that its scientific accuracy proves it's the Word of God. It wasn't written as a science textbook, but it accurately describes nature and its operation in ways that are ahead of its time. If the Bible is the Word of God, it must be true about earthly physical things as well as heavenly spiritual things that are mirrored by those physical things. And actually, God uses physical things to teach about spiritual things. So the two are together, as Jesus said. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In fact, we're seeing that the Bible made many accurate scientific statements. They were so far ahead of their time, it must be the Word of God. And uh, these things, you see, have only been recently discovered, but they were in the Word of God all the time. How did the Bible writers know it? It must be because God inspired them. In fact, it was faith in the Bible and the God of the Bible that actually motivated and was the major driving force behind the modern scientific endeavor. You see, it was numerous believers who pioneered, uh, laid the foundations of, of many of the modern sciences. And the reason is clear. You see, if the universe was created by one God, rather than many gods who are all competing with each other. Uh, And if that one God is orderly and dependable and faithfully sustains the universe, as the Bible claims, then we'd expect the universe to operate in predictable ways, according to universal laws, which man can then research with experimentation and so on, and discover these laws. And wonderful believers like Isaac Newton believed that they were thinking God's thoughts after him. And, and, in fact, God invites man to embark on this endeavor, this journey of discovery, as it says it 's the glory of God to conceal a thing uh, and the honor of kings that 's us to search out a matter in fact. He commanded it upon us when he told man to exercise dominion, to be kings on the earth, as it were, uh, to have dominion over the earth. And that then became our honor to search out these things and discover the way God uh, or runs the universe. In truth, the only rational basis for science is if there is a creator, uh, such as that described in the Bible. You see, if the universe was just a product of random uh, disordered processes, there's no reason to find order in nature. Uh, And worse, we would have no reason to trust our own brains, because our brains would just be a random chemical soup, Uh, you see. And so, but on the other hand, if the same God who created the universe according to certain laws, also made our brains to be able to understand those laws, then we've got good reason to believe that the scientific enterprise will be successful. And it has been. And so the success of modern science is guaranteed and predicted even by the Bible. Well, let's look at this, that the Bible itself talks about Universal laws, that God has made universal laws that work in heaven above and on the earth beneath. That's an amazing statement, and that's the foundation for modern science. He, he's, you see, God made this universe to reflect and reveal his character, his glory, his power. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, it says, what may be known of God may be manifest, is manifest to people because God has shown it to them through the creation of this world his attribute which makes his attributes clearly seen uh, even his eternal power and Godhead are made known by his creation you see so God made this world to reveal his unity His power, his immensity, his faithfulness, his immutability. And these things are revealed through the laws that govern and that work everywhere in the universe, uh, which describe his providential care and rule of the universe. And this is a huge concept, the universal regularity of, of of nature, that there are laws, universal laws. That's the basis for all science, and it's plainly stated in the Bible. Job 38, God says, Do you know the ordinances, that's the laws, of the heavens, and can you set their dominion on the earth? You see, this describes something that God does, and only God can do. He exercises dominion over the motions in the heavens according to his laws, and he sets those very same laws to, to govern motions on the earth. That's an amazing claim, that the laws of science that we discover on the earth also apply to what happens up there elsewhere in the universe, everywhere. This assumption of science has proven true. And God says, that's what I've done. That's the classic example of this, by the way, and fulfillment of this, is Newton's law of gravity. As a believer, he expected the gravity that we experience on Earth, the famous apple falling from the apple tree. Uh, He thought that's that force of gravity, And his genius was that that's the same force on earth is what governs the motions of the planets uh, in the heavens, the earth around the sun and the moon around the earth. And the attractive force on on the earth to the apple, you see, is the same type of force that attracts the earth to the sun. And this was an amazing unifying idea that comes from, again, the Word of God. You see, he was able to deduce from that the law of gravity, how it worked, that the force between any two masses anywhere in the universe is proportional to the two masses and inversely proportional to their distance apart. And then he was able to use some calculus to demonstrate that this force of gravity successfully predicts the motions of the planets around the sun and the moon around the earth. This was an intellectual triumph and a fulfillment of the Scripture. And in fact, if we look at these verses in Job, it specifically anticipates the law of gravitation uh, that Newton discovered. Let's see this in Job 38. God says, Can you bind, notice the binding, the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Mazaroth, that's the constellations of the Zodiac, in its season? Can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens and... Can you set their dominion on the earth? That's amazing insights here. First it says that the stars are bound together, they're held together by an invisible force which we know as gravity. And it gives the Pleiades, the uh, seven sisters as the example here. And it says this same force of gravity also has dominion on the earth. And he also describes the nature correctly of these different star constellations, because first of all, Pleiades are described as being bound together. And it's true that they move in unison with each other. Um, They look close together and they are actually close together. They're gravitationally bound together and in such a stable way, they would stay that way for 200 million years. But on the other hand, he talks about loosing the stars of Orion's belt that they're loosed from one another. They're not bound to each other. Now, they look to be close together, but actually we know now by measuring the the distances, which they couldn't have known then, that actually they're a long way apart from each other, and they're flying apart. They are indeed loosed. Well, that's beyond the knowledge of the time, but it's an accurate statement. In fact, the three stars of Orion's belt appear closer together than the rest of the constellation, but they are actually further apart. One is 736 light-years, another 1,340 light-years away, another 915. And they're loosed. They're moving away from each other. The Word of God was accurate there. These constellations are mentioned in Amos too. It says, seek him who made the Pleiades and Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night, and so forth. You see, God has displayed his glory in the heaven and on the earth. And uh, through science we discover how God has made the universe to operate in an orderly way. And this should cause us to seek the God who made these things and causes them to function in such a wonderful way. This scientific accuracy of the Bible should cause us to seek the Creator, you see. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord who gives sun for a light by day, the ordinances, the laws that govern the motions of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease to being a nation before me forever. Notice what God says is, these ordinances that govern the forces in the heavens, uh, and as well as the motions of the sea down here, uh, because it is gravity. Gravity that actually, uh, between, and it's interesting that he links the forces in the heavens, the gravity, and the waves on the sea, because the force of gravity from the sun and the moon is what causes the tides, uh, and and so on, on, on the sea. And he says these laws are permanent, they're unchanging, they'll never change, and likewise Israel is permanent too. And so this is, again, a wonderful confirmation of the universality through space and time of the laws of nature. Now now we address another very important issue, the motion of the earth around the sun. Does the sun go around the earth or the earth around the sun? Uh, this famous issue has been presented as, as the, the battle between the Bible and science that came to a head with the story of Galileo and his battle against the Roman Catholic Church. But this was not a battle between, against the Bible. Bible and science, uh, as often is portrayed. It was actually a battle between Copen- Copernicus, Copernican science and Aristotelian science. I'll explain that, which had become church tradition. Both sides actually believed the Bible was true. Galileo believed the Bible. He didn't reject it. What he did reject is the church tradition that had come from the church, mixing Greek philosophy from a- Aristotle uh, with the Bible. Um, Galileo believed that his observations that upheld the heliocentric view of Copernicus, that is that the the solar system goes around the sun, uh, he believed actually that that was quite consistent with the Bible. You see, until that time, the prevailing view of the solar system was from Aristotle, 330 B.C., a famous Greek philosopher. He believed that the universe was finite, the earth was in the middle, and it was... uh, at standing still and everything was revolving in spheres around the earth and so everyone have, have kind of followed Aristotle in this the reason we have 24 hours days is that the Sun takes 24 hours to go around the earth and um, Unfortunately, early in church history, some of the church fathers, like Clement and Oregon, wanted to combine the Greek philosophy with, with the Scriptures, producing a new kind of Christianity. And then Augustine, who became the one who dominated Roman Catholic theology, he, he accepted a lot of those ideas. And as a result, the, the Catholic Church adopted the astronomical system of Aristotle. It didn't come from the Bible, but from Aristotle, and when it came to the Reformation, people began to think a lot more freely and question the church traditions that had built up, that get entrenched, of course. And Nicholas Copernicus, uh, Copernicus, sorry, developed a cosmology with the sun at the center, and the Earth rotating around its axis, and the Earth and the planets circling the sun. And we know that today, of course. And when Galileo made improvements to his telescope and he was able to make accurate observations and they absolutely confirmed Copernicus was right and Aristotle was wrong. Uh, but it was hard for the church to immediately make that change. Um, now he's, he realized that he came into conflict with the Catholic church because they would then now have to admit they were wrong to, t- to have accepted this Uh, Greek philosophy of Aristotle into their traditions, and people don't like admitting that they're wrong. And so that's the reason for the conflict. But it wasn't actually to do with the Bible conflicting, as we'll we'll see. We're going to let the Bible speak for itself now, and we'll see that it talks about the sun going around the earth every 24 hours. The reason is because the earth spins on its axis every 24 hours in relation to the sun, not because the sun is doing that around the earth. And this is wonderfully revealed in Job 38, verse 12. God says to Job, Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it may take ho- that it may take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It, that is the earth, is turned. The earth is turned. As clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. So there's a wonderful picture of, basically, it's saying that there there is the sun which is creating a seal, an impression on the earth, and the earth is turned against the sun, and as it turns, that impression is formed on the earth's surface as the light shines upon it. And uh, he says it's, it's it's almost as if the sun it's turned. And the sun then imprints its seal uh, upon the earth. It's, it's like a clay pot, you see, that's turning against the, 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 the sun. Um, and God asks Job, you see, has he ever commanded the morning sunrise? God, you see, v- describes his view. And when the sun rises, the, its light reaches or it takes hold of the ends of the earth the extremities of the earth, that are just rotating out of the darkness into the light. And as a result, the wicked are shaken out of it, out of the earth, in the sense that thieves, drunkards, adulterers, others that practice their sins in darkness, are forced to desist from these activities as they retreat from the light. And also, the beauties of the earth are revealed by the light, for when its coloration of the earth is made to appear, it describes as like a beautiful garment when you start to shine the light on it. What a wonderful picture this is. And um, it says that also that the God's daily command of the dawn derives from his control of the earth. It says the earth is turned. That's how God controls the dawn. The earth is turned as clay to the seal. It's, it's not the sun being moved around the Earth. The picture is the Earth rotating like a clay vessel being turned on a wheel to receive the design impressed on it by a stationary seal. Likewise, the earth is being turned into the sunlight so that as it dawns on the ends of the earth, the light reveals the intricate features on its surface, just as a seal produces an impression on the clay vessel as it's turned towards it. And so it describes the earth being turned in relation to the sun, bringing forth new features as the dawn moves over the surface of the earth. So God regulates the morning, you see, by rotating the earth as a potter rotates the clay pot. Yet ancient wisdom asserted in different cultures that God regulated the morning by his control of the sun. And that would have appeared to be the case from human common sense observation without more advanced scientific knowledge. But the Bible knew all the time it was actually the rotation of the earth that controlled the the sunlight, uh, the dawning uh, of the new day. Well, the next point we need to address is that the sun also is moving. It's, we know now that the sun is not standing still and everything's moving around the sun because the sun is also moving through space at tremendous speeds. And the Bible says that. Uh, For a time, scientists believed that the sun was stationary and everything went round the sun. And so they scoffed at passages like Psalm 19, which talks about the sun moving through space. It says, The sun, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race, its rising or its going forth is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from his heat. Now, first of all we could always say that in fact this is a true statement anyway uh, according to the language of appearance we still use that to d- this kind of language in our scientific age today we still talk about the sun rising and the sun setting because that's how it appears to us today uh, it, we describe it travelling in its annual circuit against the uh, background stars. So why should we criticize the psalmist if it uses that kind of language? And also modern theories of relativity say that any frame of reference is just as good as any other. And so from the frame of reference on the earth's surface, it's true to say that the sun goes down or the sun rises and the re- or the sun goes on a circuit through the heavens. That's absolutely correct as an observation from the earth. But actually, these verses have also been proved true in an absolute sense. Science has again caught up with the Bible. Now we now realize that the sun is moving around the center of our galaxy at 600,000 miles an hour. And uh, also, our galaxy is moving through the universe at tremendous speed. So, truly, the sun is traveling through the heavens, as the Bible described. Now, I want to finish uh, this section with something a bit different. I used to, I studied and taught maths, and, uh, and one of the most famous mathematical numbers is pi. Uh, and I'm not talking about the food here. It's the number that describes circles and spheres. It's the ratio of the circumference to the diameter of a circle. And as a first-order approximation, pi is 3. It's about 3. In other words, if you measure the d- whole distance, the circumference around a circle, uh, the perimeter, Uh, it's about three times longer than the diameter, which is the length of the line from one end to the other through the middle. So if the diameter is 10 metres, the circumference would be about 30 metres. So circumference is pi times diameter. Actually, a better approximation is 3.14, or 22 over 7, you might have remembered that from school. So a circle with diameter 10 is actually 31.4 metres all the way around. Now... Pi is an irrational number. It means it cannot be exactly written down as a fraction or as a decimal because the decimal goes on forever and ever without repeating patterns, which means it's impossible to know it exactly. We can only approximate it. So you just have to have a value of pi that's good enough for your purposes. Uh, If you want to know a trick for remembering pi, remember this sentence. How I wish I could calculate pi. And count up the number of letters in each word. How is 3, wish 4, I 1, could 5, calculate 9, pi 2. You see, it's 3.141592. Well, let's see from the Bible what the Bible gives as an approximation for pi. And remember that the writer of the Scripture was forced to use whole numbers only, because they didn't use decimals then. And we're looking at a circular object called the brazen laver. It's a massive brazen laver in the temple it was a sea or a reservoir of water that the priests used for washing their hands and their feet. And it's in 2 Chronicles, and it says this, Then he made the sea of cast bronze, ten cubits from one brim to the other. That's the diameter. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen circling it all around, ten to a cubit, all the way around the sea. So see, the circumference is thirty, cubits the diameter is 10 cubits by the way a cubit is about 18 inches it's the length of the arm to the elbow of the arm from the elbow to the hand and this seems to give an approximation of pi of 30 divided by 10 which is 3 now this isn't wrong uh, we've pointed out that that's the first order approximation for pi And it's impossible to get it exact anyway, but the Bible's been criticized here for giving a rather crude approximation for pi, not very accurate, uh, and so this is a challenge. But let's read further, and we'll find that the Bible actually introduces a refinement uh, that actually gives a very accurate estimation for pi, especially impressive when you think the imposed limitation to whole numbers. The next verse says, it was also a hand thick, and its brim or its rim was shaped like the rim of a cup. So this indicates that we need to take into account the width of the rim of the cup, which is a hand breadth. And when we do this, we get an amazingly accurate va- value for pi. See, a cube is 8 inches, 18 inches. A handbreadth is 4 inches. Let's recalculate now. See, the diameter from one outside edge to the other was 10 cubits, but the width of the rim was a handbreadth, which is 4 inches. Um, now, the inside diameter, therefore, was 10 cubits. That's 180 inches. Take away the two handbreadths of the rim. That's 8 inches. You get 172 inches. Now, let's multiply that by pi to see what the circumference should be and you get practically exactly 540 inches, 30 cubits, it's exactly right. Put it another way, the original value for pi was 540 divided by 130, In sorry, 540 all the way around divided by 180 inches, that's 3. But once we adjust it, it's 540 divided by 172, which is 3.14, which is practically, well, it's accurate to three places. That's actually as accurate as you almost ever need to use it. So the Bible proves accurate. Now there's an interesting hidden feature in the text too that leads to an even more accurate value of a pie. 1 Kings 7, 23 is the other scripture where this is. And the word for the circumference in the Hebrew is usually kav. But in this passage, mysteriously, there's an extra H added on to the end of the word. Now, Hebrew words are alphanumeric. They have numerical values, too. And the science of studying these numerical values and their meanings is called the geometria. And uh, basically, the normal value for circumference adds up to 106. But if you add on the extra letter that's Put in here, it's a value 5, it's 111. If you use that ratio, that in a way God is hinting, you need to scale up by 111 over 106, then to the original value of pi, you actually get pi as 3.1415, which is accurate to five places. That's amazing accuracy. This is way beyond their measuring instruments. How would they know this? it's because the Bible is the Word of God. And so we, we can trust the Bible, it's true, and we need to believe what it says about God, about our need of salvation through Jesus who died for our sins, and that we put all our trust in Him and live by faith, trusting His promises, because every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ.